when you look at inflation numbers of three and three and a half percent, that doesn't sound like a lot. Uh, but when you look at where bond yields are right now, you know, let's call it one and a half to two percent, that is problematic for a lot of investors. Welcome to Deep Dive, a special episode of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these episodes, we put BMO GAM's investment strategies under the microscope so you can see how they work for your clients and your practice. Today, Alfred Lee and Daniel Nuzzle discuss the pressing implications of the supply-demand imbalance, plus reliable inflation indicators to watch for. They also look at ETF strategies to help clients hedge against inflation across both fixed income and equity portfolios, from U.S. tips and real return bonds to base metals and oil. Before we hear from our experts, please remember to subscribe to this podcast and bookmark bmoetfs.ca in your browser. Welcome to the BMO ETF Deep Dive Podcast. I'm Danielle Nezel, Product Manager with BMO ETFs, and we have Alfred Lee joining us today. Alfred is an ETF Portfolio Manager and ETF Strategist. Great to have you with us today, Alfred. Thanks, Danielle. So today, Alfred and I want to have a conversation about inflation. So this is something investors are starting to think more and more about as we come out of this pandemic and as the economy begins to recover. So let's start by setting the stage here, Alfred. What's been going on over the last six months, 12 months on a macroeconomic level? What types of policies or indicators are we currently witnessing that could be tailwinds for inflation looking out? That's a good question. I think, you know, when you look at it, there's, um, you know, in terms of the economic backdrop, there's a lot of reasons in terms of why you think inflation might occur right now. So I think one of the initial concerns that led to, you know, the inflation narrative that we're hearing about right now is the uh, balance sheet expansions with a lot of the central banks. Um, so in the wake of the uh, COVID pandemic, we've seen a lot of relief programs being introduced uh, both on the monetary side and also the government stimulus side as well. Um, you know, in terms of the monetary stimulus side, I would say I'd be a little bit less concerned because, you know, a lot of the money created that everybody's concerned about, uh, that really resides on the Fed's balance sheet. And it's largely owed to itself. So that's simply just, you know, matured off the balance sheet when, you know, those bonds mature. I mean, you, you can make a case that, um, you know, removing those bonds off the balance sheet um, does remove a lot of liquidity and, and it tends to be a little bit deflationary in nature. So, you know, the Fed will likely have to roll over some of the bonds and it will be a little bit more challenging to, you know, as I mentioned, remove those bonds from circulation. Overall, I think the bigger concern in terms of the monetary side is uh, the Fed moving away from uh, targeting its short-term inflation target, which uh, was a policy change that they made last summer. Um, you know, if you keep in mind, look at inflation in the 1970s, uh, inflation really got out of hand because, you know, they let short-term inflation really just remain unchecked, and which is one of the reasons why, as I mentioned, uh, inflation got out of hand in the 1970s. Um, but what, what's more pressing, I think, is, um, you know, the su supply and demand uh, imbalance really caused by COVID. So that's really out of the Fed's control, in my opinion. So, you know, on the monetary side, that's, you know, it's something that the Fed can control. But when you look at, you know, things like lumber and computer chips, those are two you know, well-documented uh, scenarios in, in many different industries where uh, we've been seeing supply chain disruption. So lumber, for example, uh, we've seen prices go up three times since the end of March uh, last year. Computer chips is another good example as well. Uh, anecdotally, when you, when you look around, I mean, you know, both you and I are cyclists. So when you go to, you know, you know your local bike store, 
uh, the shelves are essentially empty right now. And that's essentially, you know, caused the used bike uh, market to essentially be bid up. Uh, so that's a good example of how, you know, potentially supply chain shortages may cause inflation down the road. Uh, but most of the issues, as I mentioned, is, is really more of a supply side uh, issue right now. Uh, most of the uh, problems are not on the demand side of the equation that, that for the time being. But, you know, if the economy opens up, you know, we're hopeful that it will with the vaccine rollouts. Uh, you can see a lot of that pent up demand further exacerbate that imbalance. Um, so I think, you know, right now, uh, even though a lot of people are, are concerned about inflation, we're not talking about hyperinflation. But, you know, if, we, if you think that inflation could get up to, let's say, three, three and a half percent, I think that's definitely, you know, something that may transpire over the next year, year and a half. Um, but, you know, when you look at inflation numbers of three and three and a half percent, that doesn't sound like a lot. Uh, but when you look at where bond yields are right now, you know, let's call it one and a half to two percent, that is problematic for a lot of investors because, you know, your real rate of return could potentially be negative. So even though a lot of investors, they may not buy into that inflation argument, I think reflation is, is essentially, you know, at least something that investors have to prepare for in their portfolios. Thanks for that, Alfred. So a lot going on there. We have, you know, balance sheet expanding, a lot of stimulus, um, Fed overshooting that short-term inflation target, definitely a big one. But Alfred, I'm looking here at the Canadian Consumer Price Index, which is a popular gauge of inflation. Uh, the CPI in Canada today is sitting just a little bit above 1%. So that's below the average inflation target of around 2%. So Alfred, does this just mean inflation is contained and everything's okay with that CPI sitting there at 1%? Yeah, you know, that's a good point to bring up. I mean, you know, when you look at CPI, uh, it doesn't really indicate that inflation is a pressing concern right now. So Canada, as you mentioned, is, is 1%. Uh, the U.S. reported their March uh, CPI numbers this morning at 2.6%, uh, which was higher than expected, but, you know, nothing to, to really be alarmed about right, right at this moment. Uh, but when you look at CPI, I think, you know, CPI is somewhat flawed. Um, one, you know, the basket uh, that use, is used to measure CPI it may not be representative of, you know, your typical household basket. Uh, the other issue is that, you know, your CPI basket is backward looking as well. Um, so some, some of the counterpoints that I would bring up is that, um, you know, when you look at break even rates, uh, which is really the market's implication for inflation, uh, the U.S. 10 year break even right now is 2.4%. Uh, Canada's 10 year is, you know, 1.7%. So higher than the inflation or the CPI number. Um, so when we look at it historically, uh, the 10-year break-even in the U.S. was at 2.7% coming out of the 2009 uh, great financial crisis. So, you know, when you look at the economic backdrop right now, you could definitely expect that, um, you know, the break-even rate could get well above 2.7% or it is possible to, to potentially see that rate. Um, so even though the market or even though CPI isn't really indicating uh, inflation right now, the market, if, if you're looking at uh, break-even rates, it is indicating uh, the market expects inflation to be higher than what CPI is indicating. Uh, another point I would bring up is uh, producer price index, which is PPI. Uh, the latest reading we got of the U.S. was 5.9%, and that's the highest year-over-year -year, uh, reading since, you know, ever since the great financial crisis. So, you know, part of this is definitely due to the base effect, which means, you know, coming off of the lows. Um, but, you know, when you look at things uh, like commodity prices, uh, it is showing that potentially there is inflation that's not being captured in, in CPI. Um, you know, commodity prices are a large component of input costs for producers. Um, so as I mentioned before, you know, when you look at uh, the supply and demand imbalances, 
most of it is supply side constraints right now. Demand has been relatively low, but you know, as I mentioned, if demand starts picking up, uh, producers no longer have to eat those higher costs. Uh, so when demand picks up, when the economy opens up, you can rest assured that those higher prices will be passed on to the end consumer, which will eventually be potentially captured in, in CPI. So, you know, as I mentioned, CPI may not be indicating uh, inflation is a worry right now, but all the ingredients for inflation are potentially there right now. You are listening to Deep Dive, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're looking for timely trade ideas to navigate the current market, we encourage you to tune in each Thursday for our weekly Views from the Desk episodes. You'll hear razor-sharp insights, commentary, and ETF strategies from our portfolio managers, as well as questions submitted directly from our audience of Canadian financial advisors. So if we use those uh, break-even rates that you, you just quoted there, looking forward, the market is pricing in inflation to go up over the next five to 10 years, you said 2.4% in the U.S. and 1.7% in Canada. So how can we uh, hedge our portfolios as investors as inflation starts to tick up? So maybe we can start with the fixed income portfolio. Fixed income is more affected by rising inflation than equities. Alfred, can you explain how an increase in inflation and even a modest increase in inflation like that the market's pricing in right now can affect a fixed income portfolio? And what types of fixed income ETFs can investors use as an inflation hedge? Yeah, so, you know, for a bond investor, you know, having a background in bonds, inflation is probably uh, one of the worst case scenarios that you can have for a bond investor, you know, outside of a default. So let's say, for example, if you invest $100,000 in a five-year bond, it pays you a 2% coupon. So if inflation over those five years averages about 3%, your real return is essentially negative 1% on those coupons. So that's essentially, you know, your 2% coupon minus your inflation of 3%, which brings you to, you know, minus 1%. Uh, And then when you look at the repayment of your par value or your principal value, in real terms, that's going to be less than $100,000 as well. So, you know, that's why inflation, when you look at it from a bond perspective, um, you know, it's one of the worst case scenarios for bond investors. Uh, But in terms of, you know, how you could hedge that with a fixed income ETF, uh, there's a number of different ways. You know, anything with a variable coupon uh, will provide a hedge. So when you look at ETFs such as uh, rate reset preferred shares uh, or, you know, FRNs, which are floating rate notes, those are good ways to hedge uh, inflation in in the fixed income portfolio. But more specifically, if you're looking for um, something that is more specifically tied to inflation, you know, U.S. tips and real return bonds are something investors may want to look at. So uh, the mechanics behind TIPS and RRBs are exactly the same, uh, which is essentially when you get uh, CPI, that essentially grosses up the principal value of those bonds. Uh, So the coupons don't necessarily increase, but because the principal value is increasing, your value that you're receiving due to inflation is going to increase over time. Um, So in terms of ETFs that provide exposure to TIPS and, and real return bonds, uh, ZTIP, which we re- recently launched over the last couple of months, that's a good way to target inflation uh, specifically uh, because we focus on the short term. Um, you know, think about it if inflation were to rise, uh, long term rates would essentially go up because the market would anticipate inflation, uh, which we've essentially seen over the last couple of months. Uh, so that's why, you know, focusing on the short term uh, in terms of the tips curve is one way to, you know, essentially 
you know, focus on uh, that inflation component. So we did launch a couple of series. Uh, there's ZTIP, uh, which is the unhedged format. There's also .U, which is the U.S. dollar version. Uh, personally, I like ZTIP.F, which currency hedges, because that allows investors to uh, essentially, you know, wash out that currency noise and, and again, avoid the long end of the curve as well. Uh, ZRRs are real return bond ETFs, so that's more specific to, let's say, Canadian inflation. Uh, but, you know, the challenge with real return bonds or the difference between that and U.S. tips is that uh, they are issued with longer term to maturity. So um, this is this tends to be used more by asset allocators uh, that want that duration exposure that and, you know, kind of look at their portfolio more holistically. Thanks. Some good ideas there. So Zed tip getting access to U.S. tips, BMO offering the three currency exposures there, and then uh, investors looking at real return bonds, ZRR, but also, the ZRR also gives that longer uh, duration component to it as well. Okay, turning to the equity portfolio. So equities are considered less impacted by inflation. However, there are some sectors which outperform in inflationary environments. And the first that comes to mind, you know, that classic inflation play is gold. So, Alfred, why can gold and gold equities be used to hedge equity portfolios against inflation? And secondly, with all this chat about inflation and you know, everything you kind of talked about earlier in the conversation, how come gold prices aren't reacting to this? Um, you know, we've seen the gold price really pull back in the last few months. Yeah. So, you know, when you look at gold, I mean, you know, you're right. It, it definitely is that classical hedge against uh, inflation. I mean, you know, anytime a fiat currency kind of loses value due to inflation, uh, you typically see people move towards, you know, a store of value that is tangible. And gold tends to be that default um, hedge against inflation. So, you know, when you look at gold companies, um, you know, the difference between gold companies and spot gold or, or gold bullion is that it's more of a leveraged way to, to get, um, you know, a natural leverage on bullion prices, uh, just because you get that operate, operational leverage of a company. Um, but, you know, in terms of your question, in terms of, you know, why gold has come off their highs recently, um, the reason why is because, you know, when you look at gold, uh, the good thing about gold is that it's, it's a hedge against everything. But the bad thing is also gold is also a hedge against everything as well. So, you know, when I look at gold, uh, the three main hedges that I, that I see, you know, gold being a hedge for is one, inflation, um, two is macroeconomic risk, and, and three is the U.S. dollar as well. So gold is typically used to hedge those three uh, risk factors. Uh, when you look at hedging against inflation, that's definitely been on the rise over the last couple of months. But when you look at you know hedging against macroeconomic risk, that's definitely been on the decline because you had the introduction of the vaccine. Uh, so you have a lot of optimism for just economic reopening since you know the introduction of the, the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, so investors have repositioned a lot of their allocations in gold into risky assets like equities. Uh, when you look at the U.S. dollar, which is another reason why people use gold as a hedge, uh, you know, the U.S. dollar has you know, weakened against the uh, Canadian dollar. Um, but when you look at the U.S. dollar index, which is, you know, uh, the U.S. dollar versus six other different currencies, it's actually gained against the euro and the uh, Japanese yen, which are the two biggest components. So even though we are seeing, you know, gold being used more as a, as a hedge against inflation, uh, we're seeing less of gold being used as a hedge overall due to, you know, uh, the U.S. dollar strengthening and lower 
uh, macroeconomic risk in general. But I think overall, when I look at gold, gold has been you know used as a hedge against inflation uh, for you know centuries. So I think it's a tried and true hedge against all these different factors I talked about. Uh, but if investors want to get exposure to gold companies, you know, potentially over the next couple of months when gold has come off the highs, uh, investors looking over the long term, uh, this may be a more uh, opportune time for investors to get into gold. So, you know, we do have a gold ETF, ZGT. Uh, so that's a good way to get diversified exposure into uh, large cap gold companies. A lot of good points there about gold, and that's the classical kind of equity inflation hedge. So, Alfred, what other sectors might benefit from uh, rising inflation that maybe we're not thinking about or not talking about as much? And can you speak to uh, the ETFs that can be used to get access to these exposures? Sure. Um, I'll give you three. Commodities in general, a good hedge against inflation, just because the real assets priced in U.S. dollars. Uh, so base metals is the natural go-to when it comes to hedging against you know, um, an, an economic rebound and also um, inflation concerns as well. Uh, very often they say uh, copper has a PhD in economics just because it tends to be a leading indicator of you know, economic health. Um, compared to gold, I would say base metals are more of a pure play uh, against inflation compared to gold. Uh, and given where we are in the economic cycle, I would say it's better positioned arguably as well, uh, given that you know, many projects uh, have been put on hold due to the lockdown. Uh, when you look at the stimulus package as well, there's a lot of infrastructure related uh, you know, items in that, in that package as well. So that's gonna put a lot of demand for um, base metals in general. So ZMT is a good way to get exposure to you know, global base metal companies um, in an ETF. Uh, another way to hedge against inflation is oil. So you know, we think energy is well positioned. Demand has been relatively low in the last couple of years. But as we get people returning to the office, people traveling more, uh, oil or the demand for oil is going to be on the rise. So ZEO is a good way to get exposure to you know, Canadian energy, which I think is you know, more leveraged to oil prices at these levels, uh, given that Canadian energy producers are higher cost producers. Um, and last but not least, I think another way to get uh, a hedge against inflation is real estate. So REITs. Uh, so real estate is a real asset. Um, so commercial real estate. It's a little bit trickier this time around, given that, you know, COVID has transformed a lot of the office and retail space. Um, but I, I think a lot of that negativity is already priced in. So when you look at ZRE, which is our equal weight uh, read ETF, that's a good way to play it. Because we use that equal weighting approach, it's going to place less of a focus on those larger cap names. So, you know, names like RealCan, which is retail oriented, Allied Properties, which is office oriented. You know, those larger cap names are going to have less of an emphasis in an equal weighting strategy, and it's going to put more of an emphasis on, you know, smaller cap names that tend to be more industrial and, you know, res residential related REITs, which I think over the long term are going to be, you know, big benefactors in this, you know, post-COVID environment. Thanks so much for that, Alfred. So many great ideas there on the fixed income side. You know, you mentioned U.S tips and real return bonds and on the equity side gold base metals oil and real estate all really good ideas uh, to use as inflation hedges in a portfolio thanks for joining us alfred my pleasure Linda. for more information on any of the etfs we talked about today or to access our bmo etf inflation report check out our bmo etf dashboard that's bmoetf.ca thanks for tuning in 
Thank you to Danielle Nezel, BMO Product Specialist, and Alfred Lee, ETF Specialist and Portfolio Manager at BMO Global Asset Management, for joining us on Deep Dive. If you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to tune in to our weekly Views from the Desk episodes available each Thursday morning in this same podcast series. And you should also bookmark the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio manager represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment tax or legal advice to any party. Investment should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statements that necessarily depend on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance.